Hey everyone, I'm your host Piers Kicks, and welcome back to Metaverse Musings, which is a research-focused podcast that's part of Delphi Digital. We explore the integral components behind what many believe will be the internet's successor, a virtual extension of the natural world where most of us will eventually live, work and play. To some, it represents our next great milestone as a network species, and to others, it is something to fear. With our guests, we discuss the technology, philosophy and culture behind this brave new world. If you're not yet subscribed to the Delphi Research Portal, then I fear for your soul. You're missing out on the most incisive analysis that the digital asset space has to offer. Seriously, check it out. Nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. This podcast features sponsors and any ads are not an endorsement by Delphi Digital and are for informational purposes only. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Metaverse Musings. I'm delighted to introduce you all today to Nick Emmons, who is the founder and CEO of a protocol called Upshot. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you please start us off by explaining uh, at a high level what Upshot is? Yeah, Upshot is a uh, crowdsourced NFT appraisal platform, basically. We're building on this new field of mechanism design called pure prediction that incentivizes people to uh, answer subjective questions. Honestly, it works by basically just comparing one person's answers against another person's answers and gleaning some insights into what honesty looks like based on the correlation or lack of correlation between those answers. And on top of that, we've built this product that allows NFT collectors and NFT experts to uh, appraise different NFTs and, and uh, get paid when they appraise them honestly. It, the product plays a little bit like hot or not for NFTs. And uh, as a result, we get a, a sort of zestimate for any NFT we'd like. We're trying to create these close to real-time price feeds for NFTs. Very cool. And, and what exactly uh, sort of led you up to building this? What, what were you doing before? Yeah, before this, I was leading blockchain development at John Hancock and Manulife. They're uh, two of the largest life insurance companies in, in the US and Canada and, and some parts of Asia. And uh, we created what I, I, I'm, I think is the first public blockchain project done by a large institution at the time, um, working around decentralized insurance. And then um, after I left, I was still really into this, this idea of decentralized insurance. It's a very difficult problem to solve because uh, outside of parametric insurance, things where there's a, a kind of clear event at time of claim that can determine if someone is owed a payout or not, uh, it's very difficult to actually create complex insurance products in a decentralized setting. There is cases of fraud, there's cases of uh, ambiguous validity of claims, things like this. And that's kind of how I stumbled into peer prediction. If we can create a way for decentralized, pseudonymous, actors to reach consensus when reviewing subjective claims, then we can enable huge swaths of uh, applications that currently aren't possible. Could you provide some color then on, on what exactly sort of motivated the build out of, of Upshot? What was that kind of tipping point? And I suppose, you know, you, you've already alluded to the fact that Upshot's kind of the, the base protocol and there's sort of this early NFT use case on top of them, but obviously it goes much, much further beyond that. So um, I guess what was the trigger point that sort of pushed you towards building this to begin with? And and what was it that, that um, you know, allowed you to identify NFTs as an interesting early use case? Yeah, so after I left uh, John Hancock, I just wanted to take some time off and uh, figure out what I wanted to do next. And I, I just kind of stumbled across pure prediction. Um, it was It's a pretty new field of mechanism design. There are 
not an incredibly large number of, of papers on it. They're mostly coming out of Harvard and MIT. And I essentially just immersed myself in the field. I read as many uh, uh, research papers as I could related to peer prediction. And my imagination just started uh, really, really going in terms of thinking about possible products that this uniquely enables in a decentralized setting. You know, if, like I said, if we can reach consensus on subjective questions, we solve major problems impeding uh, new insurance products from existing in a decentralized setting. We solve major problems around pricing highly esoteric assets like NFTs and things like that. We solve problems around oracles. Um, and so I just very quickly became extremely passionate about the field and, and started thinking through what a, a sort of general purpose protocol leveraging peer prediction would look like. And in the beginning, it was um, uh, fairly biased towards insurance. You know, that was the context I had coming into it uh, for the prior several years, the, the several years prior. And so I was thinking about it in the, the sense of this is going to be the sort of claims element of a decentralized insurance protocol. And as we were building that out and then we raised some money and we built a bit of a team and stuff. And as we were uh, kind of building that, we realized a couple things. One, insurance is uh, a kind of end-sided marketplace. When brought into a decentralized setting, there are three core functions of insurance. There's risk assessment. There is uh, underwriting, ensuring that we're creating a basket of, of policies that are fairly uncorrelated. So we have enough money to, to pay out claims as they come in and then claims assessment. And in order to build that in a decentralized setting, you have to build these network effects for each of these core functions. And the skill sets required for each are fairly distinct. It's not like a claims assessor is going to be a terrific actuary and a terrific actuary is not gonna be a terrific underwriter necessarily and things like this. And so, we, we were looking for ways to limit the, the variables in building network effects that would actually enable this to flourish. And second, we realized that by tweaking one or two small pieces of kind of how the protocol worked, we could actually allow it to support any use case that required a sort of source of subjective truth. And so that's when we decided to work on Upshot as this kind of general question and answer protocol. And the reason we got into NFTs is uh, we've been really in, interested in and kind of uh, in the NFT space since the very beginning of the NFT space. And they face this, this issue of, of uh, inefficient price discovery. Um, NFTs are this type of asset that are non-fungible and low velocity. They don't change hands very often. And that means that the open market has a difficult time pricing them efficiently. You know, many other assets um, leverage these sort of transfers of ownership as price discovery events. That's why it's easy to price more liquid assets. But uh, with NFTs, these just don't happen enough for the open market to be the sole source of pricing. And when you look to the real world, I guess, uh, you see similar assets like real estate and physical art possess the same sort of traits. They don't change hands very often. They're non-fungible, non et cetera. And with both of these they leverage appraisals very heavily in supplementing their price discovery, the sort of querying of experts' opinions about what those assets are worth. And the problem there is that appraisals in that setting rely heavily on identity, on firms, on these structures that we don't have access to in a decentralized pseudonymous setting. But what we do have access to now is this, uh, this question and answer protocol that incentivizes people to be honest in the face of subjectivity. And so that's, that's kind of 
what led us to the NFT appraisal use case as the first product on Upshot. Mm-hmm. And, and before we hop into kind of uh, a bit more detail on how it actually works, um, are there any other approaches to solving those problems you described around NFTs that you think have some merit? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff being done around fractionalization in particular. In particular, um, fractionalization is really useful because it allows one to deposit an NFT and essentially produce fractionalized shares of that NFT. And then we've created an asset that is more compatible with the open market. And so it can be priced much more efficiently. The problem with this is if we create these baskets of heterogeneous NFTs, and this obviously depends on some assumptions around how the underlying NFTs are redeemed or unfractionalized, uh, then all we're able to track via fractionalization is essentially the floor price of those NFTs. And, And so what appraisals afford us is this ability to track the kind of true value of NFTs, arguably in a less accurate way than an open market mechanism via fractionalized shares can, but allows us to track, uh, uh, get a get a more granular view into what the actual price of these NFTs are. And then there's other things like um, NFT synthetics, which are fairly interesting and stuff like that. But I'd say fractionalization is sort of the most promising approach to improving NFT price discovery outside of appraisals. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Super, super interesting. Um, and then I guess, you, you know, using the NFT context, so uh, it's sort of perhaps more intuitive for those listening. Um, can you sort of talk us through how the system works? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there are uh, essentially different groups. This is a, a primitive at, at the, the kind of protocol level, but this applies to the NFTs case as well. So there's a, a group for CryptoPunks or a group for art on super rare, things like this. And each group Uh, One, it specifies the types of questions that are being asked in that group. So in the CryptoPunks group, the NFTs being appraised, the questions being asked are around CryptoPunks solely. And groups also specify a sort of definition of of eligibility or expertise. So if if my opinion is going to hold weight in the CryptoPunks group, the CryptoPunks group will have some set of criteria which they're kind of scoring me with. we can get into what the different definitions of expertise can look like, but if I'm eligible to answer questions in a group, others are eligible to answer questions in a group, we appraise NFTs. And this can happen in uh, any way that protocol is fairly flexible, but the kind of two types of questions present in the product right now are comparison and multiple choice. In a comparison question, uh, someone is given two NFTs side by side, two CryptoPunks side by side in this example, and ask which one is more valuable. And then in the multi in the multiple choice example, someone's given a single CryptoPunk with four price ranges and asked where the value of this CryptoPunk lives within those price ranges. Um, and then on a regular basis, these events called scoring rounds are run. And this is really the, the sort of meat of the peer prediction aspect of the protocol. What happens during these scoring rounds is small random committees of appraisers that have answered questions in the group or people just answering questions in the group are selected and they have their answers compared to each other uh, kind of line by line. So if you and I answered a set of questions uh, about 10 NFTs or 10 CryptoPunks, we would go line by line and essentially score the correlation or the lack of correlation in, in how we answered each question, how we appraised each CryptoPunk. And we then score that using this uh, 
new mutual information measure called determinant mutual information, which is able, to, which essentially interprets uh, correlation in a in a novel way, and as a result, we get a score for each of us based like across those those answers, and from those scores, we can uh, also kind of derive uh, appraised values or agreed upon appraised values for the CryptoPunks that were part of those batch of questions that were scored. And it's a powerful mechanism because it's both dominantly truthful and informed truthful, which means that there's no strategy either of us could play when answering questions that pays more than being honest. Even more so, there's no question either of us could play when answering questions that pays more than expending effort to answer the honest question, to actually like ensure we're informed about the answer we're providing. And this is important because this is like, it, it'd be very easy for someone to just come come into the, the system and answer randomly just to collect some rewards at the end. But if they're doing that, then they're actually leaving money on the table. By not being informed truthfully, you are not maximizing uh, the payout you can receive for uh, appraising NFTs in a given group. Super interesting. So I guess I've got two questions off the back of that. In terms of, um, I guess, your kind of confidence rating in those answers, sort of how many versions of these questions would have to be asked to get, you know, X, Y, and Z degree of confidence in the answer? Yeah, so th there's um, actually uh, a slightly nuanced uh, distinction between confidence and uh, certainty, essentially. But a co the, the confidence... Uh, the results from a scoring round emits is essentially the difference between our maximum score we could have received, that informed truthful score, and the score we actually received in the scoring round. And so if the maximum score I could receive from a scoring round is 100, and I got an 80, we're 80% 80 confident that those answers were honest, were correct. Um, and then certainty is the actual kind of certainty around the price of these assets. So if we're able to, over a, a kind of set of scoring rounds uh, be, be X percent certain of the price. It's within these tight bounds. It, it kind of fits within the criteria we have around what a tight bound is versus a loose bound, et cetera. Then we can uh, assign a, a price that we're both confident and certain about, if that makes sense. And the, the speed at which this happens relies entirely on how kind of confident the uh, how honest the appraisers are that are being assessed when when uh, appraising these these nfts mm -hmm. makes sense yeah that, that was sort of the my, my second question as well is like how how frequent would these scoring rounds typically be because i guess that ultimately dictates how frequently that sort of prices or, or that you know a, a appraised prices is, is being updated yeah it, it that really depends on the volume of uh answers kind of coming into a, a certain group the Minimum criteria for a scoring round to be run is, and this is a, another kind of powerful thing about this specific mechanism, is uh, it works with a constant number of, of questions and users. This has been uh, a kind of prevailing problem in the field of peer prediction for, for years, up until about a year and a half, two years ago, where ensuring informed truthfulness or dominant truthfulness even uh, would require either an infinite number, an infinite number of users, or an infinite number of questions being scored. This requires at least two C questions to be scored per scoring round, where C is the number of possible answers per question in that round. So if it's uh, this punk versus this punk question, C is two, and so you and I would have to answer four questions minimum for a scoring round to be run, or, or anyone in the group would have to answer that minimum number of questions. 
And then uh, it requires greater than or equal to three users for these scoring rounds to be run to uphold these truth-telling incentives. And so the requirements in terms of the, the volume of answers and the, the number of users answering questions is, is quite manageable. And so with any level of, of high volume in these groups of appraisers coming in and answering questions, scoring rounds can be run quite frequently. Super interesting. And then in terms of where these answers and sort of appraisals are being kicked out, are those largely accessible from within the platform or do you plan for these to, you know, let's say be incorporated into like the OpenSea interface at some point? Uh, the, the resulting appraisals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking to um, a lot of different NFT marketplaces at the moment, as well as uh, portfolio trackers and a lot of the uh, NFT protocols out there, because what we're providing in uh, appraised prices for these things is essentially this price feed that can be updated without the holder of the NFT needing to give up ownership of that NFT, you know, especially with portfolio trackers and as people use NFT marketplaces as, as kind of portfolio trackers in a way as well. It's difficult for me to have an up-to-date understanding of what my NFTs are worth, how valuable my collection is, et cetera, if I've been holding them for six months, a year, two years, et cetera. It, the requirement of open market mechanisms that one has to give up ownership to get the kind of market's opinion or the, the general public's opinion about what their assets are worth is very incompatible with NFTs. And so we're working on a, essentially this easily consumable pricing API that uh, we hope will be the, the price source for NFTs across the space. Very cool. Yeah. And then I guess, um, let's say I've got a bunch of NFTs in my portfolio um, in, you know, maybe my Zapper NFT tracker. Um, and I'm obviously getting a sort of upshot, um, you know, price feed off those. So I have more accurate uh, sort of estimations about my NFT portfolio value. Let's say there's just like a, a bunch of different NFTs in there. Like wh where's the incentive for these sort of appraisers uh, coming from? Um, who's, who's paying these people in order to answer those questions? Yeah, so you could pay them if you wanted to. You could say, hey, here, here are uh, 10 NFTs across 10 different collections. I own them. I want them to be appraised. So I have an up-to-date view of what my portfolio is worth, what my collection's worth. And you could attach some monetary value next to each NFT that would go to the appraisers actually appraising them. I think what we'll see a lot of as well is the actual uh, kind of marketplaces, portfolio trackers, the 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 kind of facilitators of, of tracking NFT positions, mm -hmm. uh, subsidizing that to a degree as well. And beyond explicitly parting ways with your money to get an appraisal on an NFT, what you can also do is you can deposit into, you can deposit capital into groups themselves. So I can deposit USDC and say the super rare art group. And what's going on behind the scenes is that's being immediately invested into yield earning protocols on chain. And then the yield from that is being used to pay appraisers who appraise the NFTs in that group. At any point, I can pull out the amount I put in. Um, I'm just foregoing earning the yield myself. I'm essentially donating my yield to these appraisers. And it creates this, this um, uh, kind of sort of interaction where I am not explicitly parting ways with my capital. I'm just foregoing the yield I could be earning on my own. And I think it creates this this pretty nice user experience around actually compensating appraisers for NFTs without feeling like you're compensating appraisers. 
Absolutely. That's one aspect that I found uh, super cool. Um, what, what are the typical sort of uh, criteria that you look for in those interest earning protocols that you are, you know, <clears throat> sort of uh, allocating these uh, staked assets to? Um, yield, basically. Uh, what who, who is giving the best rates at the moment? There's um, some per protocol uh, integration costs as well. So it, it comes down to that too, as well as um, any other kind of risk assumptions around dealing with with protocols. You know, we want to ensure that there is no risk that the the capital that is being deposited into groups is being lost. And so ensuring that the yield sources we're leveraging are highly audited that have seen large amounts of capital flow through them, et cetera, um, is another kind of high priority for us. Totally makes sense. Stay clear of the Ponzi farms. Um, what then does the, uh, sort of business model actually look like from your side then here? Yeah. So, uh, one thing we're doing, um, as a, as a company via this, uh, pricing API is where we're exploring business models around the, the pricing API itself. And we're also, um, building up pretty robust, uh, ML models around pricing NFTs as well. So we're consuming the, the sort of data coming out of the system just as anyone else can, but we're doing additional sort of analytics on it, uh, uh, running it through some ML models we've been creating and actually using the appraisals as just one feature in the models alongside uh, trait rarity, uh, artist provenance, open market data that we have, et cetera, to produce this even, even more robust stream of data around these NFTs. And so we're exploring different ways to monetize that as well. And one nice thing about that is a way we can monetize it is just by interacting with the system as an appraiser, where the ML model is the appraiser and where we're getting paid to appraise these NFTs in this very scalable way using uh, data in, in like pretty insightful ways as well. So that's, those are some of the ways we're we're exploring, uh, actually, kind of capturing value from this as a as a company. Damn, that's um that latter part there was uh, that's super interesting. You know, w- one of the questions I wanted to ask is we, we're seeing all these exciting new ways for people to earn money around these different you know crypto protocols and games and whatever. Um, you know, we've recently seen sort of Zora launch their curator DAOs and whatnot, where people can directly monetize their curator function, but. This seems like uh, an even more scalable and, and sort of more direct way to do that, you know, as, as you sort of gain uh, like weight as an, appraiser, as an appraiser and sort of reputation. Like um, you mentioned running these ML models to, to, to act as an appraiser in the protocol. Like what's kind of the uh, upper bound on earning here? Um, I'd, I'd be curious. <laughs> yeah, really quickly on what you just mentioned. Yeah, like we see the types of interactions people are, are taking with the protocol and sort of the way people are, are seeing the protocol is one of uh, the kind of first opportunities to actually work for a protocol. You know, you're taking these these very subjective positions in what you believe different uh, NFTs to be worth, and it feels like you're actually like kind of getting paid or working for uh, your expertise. So that's that's an interesting kind of side effect of the mm-hmm. types of interactions people take with it. And the upper bound is, is I know this is kind of a, a cop out answer, but it really depends on the demand for appraisals of a given nft or nft collection if there is a lot of people willing to pay for the appraisal of a very niche nft where there aren't a lot of of people with expertise around it then the price is going to be greater than if people want nft around want appraisals around nft that everyone has an opinion of or if there is a collection of nfts that 
no one really cares about having appraisals for it. It, it really does just come down to supply and demand, I guess. Uh, so it's, it's kind of difficult to estimate with such a heterogeneous asset class, you know, NFTs really span the spectrum of high demand, uh, uh, high commonality versus uh, high demand, high specificity and everywhere else in the spectrum, low demand, low specificity, et cetera. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just imagining some appraisal wizard uh, across the full NFT spectrum pretty much uh, plugged in via a drip into Upshot and making a killing, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously the NFT use case is, is super interesting, but it seems pretty clear that this technology can be applied way more broadly. Uh, you know, you've touched upon insurance, um, obviously sort of prediction market stuff you kind of alluded to, but um, can you talk us through some of the other use cases that excite you about this? Yeah, I think it's interesting, just kind of the general Oracle use cases around some of this stuff. I think there is an interesting dichotomy within the kind of Oracle category. Um, most Oracle projects are about transporting data from the real world to the blockchain, essentially. And an assumption that's being made there essentially is that the real world data is, is good from the get-go. And the data integrity really has to be ensured during transport. Where we fit into the Oracle space, I think, is ensuring that the data that is actually being transported is true data, has high integrity. I think there is this, this there are two steps in like building a strong Oracle. It's ensuring that the data source has high integrity and it's ensuring data transport has high integrity. And so I think there's some interesting products we can build around that. There's also... I think uh, products with with more broad implications around uh, fake news detection, content curation, like we could actually just create social feeds that have very familiar interactions for users, upvotes, downvotes, and score those leveraging the underlying peer prediction mechanisms of Upshot. So we can we can say these people have said these sets of of posts uh, should be upvoted that they're quality posts or that they. Are, are true and authentic uh, reports of some some event. And these people have said that, that these events are not true or they've downvoted these votes. And we can actually create these highly curated feeds based on people who are being incentivized to be honest and to honestly uh, curate these feeds. So I think there's a lot of pretty cool products that can be built around peer prediction. Totally, yeah. And then I guess um, it seems like you, obviously you mentioned it's a pretty new field in and of itself. Um, you guys seem to be building something pretty exciting with it pretty early on, but um, I'm curious how you think about what it would take uh, should a sort of competitor in this domain enter the space and, 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 and how you view that potential threat. Yeah, um, anyone can, you know, it's it's <laughs> not like it, it's protected in, in uh, uh, a legal sense or anything like that. I, I think what's important when building these types of, of open systems where competitors springing up is such a, a kind of expected occurrence. It's about building network effects. It's about building a strong community. It's about having a strong uh, ethos and mission behind your brand. And, and um, I, I think whoever does that the best uh, will win. It's not about building a, a moat at a, in a kind of technical sense. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. How, how do you guys view yourselves sort of within the market then? And, and, and what are your kind of ambitions in terms of, of where you take this, obviously beginning with NFTs and then beyond? Yeah, I'd say in the, the near to midterm, we're really focused on being 
a sort of core bridge between DeFi and NFTs. You know, there's a big reason why NFTs aren't as compatible with DeFi as they can be, why we can't back die with, uh, with crypto punks or do things like this is because of this issue of price discovery. If we had close to real-time price feeds for NFTs, then uh, a kind of design space around the intersection of these two core pillars of the crypto space uh, kind of emerges. And so that's really what we're focused on becoming in the, the near to midterm is that bridge between DeFi and NFTs and exploring the sorts of novel financial products that can be created when we can integrate NFTs throughout uh, more of the process. You know, we're really interested in the idea of NFT synthetics, actually um, creating synthetic positions around NFTs and allowing people to take potentially very deep positions in very diverse baskets of NFTs, just leveraging price feed, like our, our price feeds and arbitrary pools of capital. We could just pool ETH in a, in a single place and, and, have price feeds for all the NFTs in a, a kind of designated basket and allow people to gain exposure to those NFTs. Those NFTs could be held elsewhere by people completely unaware of the product existing or the protocol running, and people would still be able to uh, get exposure to the price movements of those NFTs. So I'd say that's what we're most interested in around the NFT use case. And then beyond that, we're just interested in exploring what these other kind of tangential use cases look like for us and and how we can really do meaningful work in the insurance space around prediction markets, around the Oracle space more broadly, stuff like that. I'd say it's a bit early to uh, anticipate too specifically what we'll be doing beyond NFTs at the moment, but there's some pretty exciting stuff that's made possible by, by peer prediction. So keep an eye out. Totally. I, I think, um, you know, so just the stuff you touched upon before around the, uh, you know, in, incentivized truth telling in, in the uh, sort of context of fake news and, and, and misinformation and whatnot. I think it's, um, yeah, pretty crazy that you built this sort of mechanism for provable digital truth telling almost. Um, I think, it's, you know, as we transition into increasingly digital environments with, with stuff like deep fakes and voice synthesis and even AI enabled sort of replication of the manner in which people communicate, it's going to become even harder to depend on, you know, our former sort of sources of truth. Um, so it feels like, you know, achieving consensus on, on potentially subjective information will become an incredibly, you know, increasingly powerful tool. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you're pretty early on to the NFTs uh, sort of scene and, and obviously doing some wicked stuff around that space. But I wonder, um, you know, to, to what extent you sort of subscribe to this idea of the metaverse, um, which I'll, I'll define as a, a persistent live digital universe that affords individuals a sense of agency, social presence and shared spatial awareness, along with the ability to participate in an extensive virtual economy with profound societal impact. Yeah, I, I mean that's why we're all here, isn't it? We're we're bought into that that vision. I, I think what we're building is we what we see ourselves as building anyway is this pivotal piece of infrastructure that allows us to realize the kind of more long tail or more ambitious aspects of the metaverse. You know, um, I, I think the last major blocker for NFTs to kind of experience this next level of adoption of experimentation, et cetera, and kind of novel use cases is the issue of price discovery. If we can actually have these efficient means of pricing NFTs and, and uh, doing things with them in novel ways, then they become this more wholly integrated aspect of the metaverse. We're able to build a, a, a 
much more robust, a richer metaverse as a result. So, yeah, I think we're, we're, uh, that's why we, we do this. Totally. Um, totally. I think it's going to be so wicked, the sort of, uh, you know, economic streamlining that comes with it as a result. Uh, super excited to see where it all goes as, as, as more stuff, you know, heads, heads in that direction, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've touched upon a few of them. Uh, obviously, I mean, even the sort of DeFi NFT crossovers, the NFT synths all sound super cool. But uh, w- w- wanted to give you the opportunity if there are any other, you know, sort of much longer term kind of far out ideas that you and the team have, have discussed around how this technology might evolve. I, I think we've, we've touched on it. We're really focused on the NFT stuff right now. I think I've I, like we've like we've talked about, there's some really cool stuff you can create around insurance and prediction markets and oracles more broadly le- uh, leveraging this stuff. Like a big reason the set of insurance products that are sort of available to the world is so limited. We have five or six kind of core insurance categories. You know, we have life, home, auto, health, etc. It's so limited because. It's so expensive to actually create and manage insurance products. The sort of minimum market size for an insurance company to be profitable is very high. And when you decentralize the insurance process, you remove most of the cumbersome costs around insurance. Around half of the costs of insurance are administrative. The actual requirement of of having an entity in the center of all of this managing these these kind of disparate functions around insurance. If we are able to allow those those functions to to function without the the need for this central entity, then we cut out close to half of the cost of insurance. And as a result, we significantly lower that minimum market size to profitability. And as a result of that, we can create these very kind of exotic esoteric insurance products that cater to new markets that don't have access to these types of products as well. So there's some pretty interesting stuff you can do um, around insurance specifically. That's that's generally the non-NFT direction I'm biased towards because of my background, obviously, and things like that. But yeah, that's some of the, the stuff to look forward to in the kind of months and, and years ahead of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds super interesting. Excited to see what comes. Um, what is one thing that has become clear to you since you started your crypto journey that you wish you'd known before? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I, I think there is a, a a sort of inertia that is inherent to decentralization that makes it this unstoppable force. You know, like I, I, I think many people probably go through this this internal debate of whether or not uh, all this stuff is going to work out and if decentralization really has value and staying power and stuff like that. I, I think one thing I've come to realize over the years is, is that decentraliz- an inherent trait of decentralization is that it can't just go away. It's, it can't be stopped. You know, it, it always has this inertia pushing it forward. And so that any any sort of questions around the viability of decentralization being this meaningful force in the world that that enacts uh, substantial amounts of change and and restructuring of power power structures stuff like that reallocation of value et cetera um, all of all of those I guess uncertainties went away a long time ago I don't know if that's the 
the best answer to that question. That's the thing that comes to mind. No, I thought that was a a brilliant answer to the question. Super interesting. Um, Definitely, definitely not had that one before either. Um, Heading into the closing questions now, um, I have to ask, what is your favorite video game ever? Oh, I'm a a Call of Duty guy. Oh, hell yeah. Do you still play or is that a... Uh, A bit, yeah. We we played a lot of uh, Modern Warfare. We fell out of it for a bit, uh, but we've been playing a lot of Modern Warfare since Modern Warfare came out, like, what, a year and a half ago or something. Um, Love it. Yeah, Call of Duty great. Let's get an upshot Battle Royale going. We'll make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, let's do Um, it. And beyond games, uh, um, what is the most impactful digital experience you've ever had? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I'd say some of the kind of like first experiences around these virtual kind of universes would would be a, a pretty impactful virtual experience for me. I actually like standing in in a, a field or in a, like most Eisley, you know, the, the just like interacting with other people, actually having them physically around you while, while I'm standing in the middle of my apartment. You know, that was. Uh, a pretty impactful thing to actually feel like I was someplace else. Actually, the the feeling of being physically transported somewhere by putting something on my head. I'd say that that was pretty impactful. Totally. I'm um unbelievably pumped for uh haptic suits. The Tesla suit once it's made made ready for us uh us plebs that aren't giant enterprises training people, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um and then finally, out of all the books you've ever read, which one has resonated with you the most? Um, oh boy, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to read books recently, but, uh, there's a, uh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but there's a book, uh, uh, beginner's mind. Uh, it's, it's like a, a book about meditation and, and, uh, stuff like that. Just like a bunch of one to two page chapters around like various acts, aspects of kind of seeing the world through the lens of a beginner's mind, you know, simplifying thought processes, um, living in the present moment, stuff like that. Uh, Zen mind, beginner's mind. And uh, that, that's had a, a pretty profound impact just on how I think about problems, you know, how, how we think through things. I think it's very easy to overcomplicate solutions to think that the most complex solution is must be the most robust or, or the most correct. But I, I think a lot of times being able to approach problems with uh, a beginner's mind, trying to approach things with a, a kind of new perspective uh, and a simple perspective is often the, the most effective in, in solving the hardest problems. Interesting. I like that. I'll, uh, I'll definitely check it out. Um, well, yeah, wanted to give you the opportunity for any sort of closing remarks, um, what, what you've got upcoming on the roadmap, anything people should be paying attention to, and uh, I guess also where they should follow along for all the latest. Yeah, yeah, there's some uh, pretty cool stuff coming together uh, with the product. We're in open beta right now, so anyone can come on and appraise uh, different collections of NFTs. We're going to be kicking off um, a new feature in the next day or two called uh, competitions where people can actually like get paid in NFTs. There's going to be some uh, crypto punk involved in that and some other high value NFTs. So um, that should be pretty interesting. And we're about to complete our, our move to Polygon as well. Um, and if you'd like to find out more or join the community, you can, you can follow us on Twitter at UpshotHQ or, or jump into our, our Discord. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. 
Love it. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure chatting as usual. And um, yeah, look forward to uh, seeing all the latest upcoming functionality and uh, sort of full launch as and when. Thanks.